get on a roll with the conversation and then you check your clock and find out you've been talking about something for a whole long time? Well, our guest this week always enjoys talking about education and kids, and it shows. Kathy Abrams is the president of the Ontario Public School Board Association and a trustee with the Kawartha Pine Ridge District School Board. She shares in this podcast a compelling personal story about how language matters and has impacted her years afterwards. Shelly's away this week, so here are Steve and me, Stan. At Circle Forum, we respectfully acknowledge that the land on which we gather, work, learn, and live daily are the treaty and traditional territory of Indigenous peoples. We are grateful for our relationship with the First Nations of this territory, their care of and teachings about the land, the water, and all our relations. As a settler organization, we continue to journey to strengthen our understanding of our relationships with Indigenous people, communities, and nations, and of how to move forward together in a good way. So thanks very much, and welcome to our podcast this week. It's great to have a guest with us uh, this week. Kathy Abrams, and she is a trustee of the Kawartha Pine Ridge District School Board, the school board I used to work for, and she's also the president of the Ontario Public School Boards Association. So welcome, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're at the beginning of season three, where we're talking about student engagement. What kinds of things are you noticing in your school board across the province about student engagement? Well, certainly COVID has played havoc with student engagement. Uh, We are seeing and and hearing anecdotally uh, many stories about kids who've just kind of checked out. Um, They've had enough of being online. Uh, They're feeling stressed and uh, lots of social anxiety type issues when they finally do get back into schools. Um, They hear all the time about uh, They have learning gaps, which uh, I think should be more accurately called learning delays because we can catch them up. Uh, A gap sounds like you can never fix it, but a learning delay uh, to me seems like uh, uh, we can catch you up. Uh, So they're getting all these messages um, from their families, from the news, from whatever about uh, the the pandemic and about how they need to be afraid. And, and so it's having an impact on their ability to learn. I mean, learning, uh, of course, we know that that's their only job as students, as that they're really their only job in, in this world is to go to school and learn and, and be uh, students. But they take on a lot. They take on a lot, the, the fears and anxiety of their family and, and everybody else. So obviously right now, that's the biggest biggest factor we have in student engagement. I mean, you you know as well as I do that as we sit here, we're doing this over Zoom. I, if I wanted to, I could just turn my camera off and you wouldn't actually know if I was here or not. And we have some concerns that uh, that's happened a lot with our students over the, over the past however many months it's been. Yeah, so they'll actually sign in, but they'll actually check out because they're not even on screen kind of thing, for sure. Absolutely. So you could turn your camera off, and I may be sitting here listening, but, you know, heaven only knows what else I could be doing. I could be, well, I'd like to think they're reading a book, but they're probably not, <laughs> you know, and, and so they're not really engaged. They're not engaged. And, and teachers are doing everything they possibly can, but this is not an ideal way to engage students in learning. What kinds of structures are working and or not working to engage? I think for many kids, it's 
it's really about that personal touch, like about feeling like whoever's sitting on the other side of the screen in for in one instance, uh, really knows who you are and really cares about who you are. And so in a classroom, because really it, it again, it comes down to the teacher mostly. I mean, I, I as a trustee or even as a superintendent of schools, I would imagine you could sit there in your office and go, you really need to do this. But it, uh, my saying it doesn't make it happen. It's the teachers that make these things happen. So if it's a teacher that is able to convey that degree of caring, that really works no matter who the student is. I remember the first class that I saw happen on Zoom was a kindergarten class uh, with a kindergarten teacher and an ECE professional. And um, it brought tears to my eyes, the way that those two professionals worked together to make sure that those littles uh, really knew they mattered. And I think that's a huge plus if you can, if you can get that kind of personal relationship you know, and, and the and and the opposite would be the opposite would be a barrier. I mean, for being online, that's a very difficult thing to convey is that personal caring. Uh, and I I think those two things are the same for in person. I mean, we all know I've, I've been at this a long time, and we all know that there are even as I was in school <laughs> many years ago. Uh, there are teachers that are much better at conveying that personal attachment to their students. And I think that uh, increases learning in a classroom. There, there are others, of course, that, um, you know, we talk about things like um, if you're a student in the northern end of our province, which, uh, as you know, is, is big, uh, you don't have the same life experiences or everyday experiences as a student living in downtown Toronto. And so if you've got built into your system, uh, I, I always uh, think the EQAO testing questions are a good example of this. If you're, the question you're asking is, uh, how long does it take for the subway to get from point A to point B, the, that student up in, um, you know, Kenora or even further north than that's going to say I've never even been on a subway. Conversely, you know, how long is it going to take you to track a moose from here to here? Uh, like student in Toronto, Jada Finch isn't going to really be able to get that one the same. And so those kinds of things are built into our system that we really need to pay more attention to. I think that what you're really highlighting, particularly with that caring relationship, is really, to me, where restorative practice can step in and show us the how we every i think everybody agrees on what's going on that you need to have this type of uh, close relationship if there was kind of a, a little crack it's a huge chasm now it's uh, covid has kind of opened things up that way so what are you noticing with structures that get in the way for indigenous kids we need to be uh listening better to their needs. What I am very concerned about is our urban Aboriginal students, our urban Indigenous students, because they tend to really fall through the cracks because, because people don't actually realize how many of our students who live in urban settings are Indigenous or Aboriginal. And it, it, uh, we need to be paying attention to that. So that's a huge barrier for them, that if we don't even acknowledge that they're there, uh, how are we going to help them learn in a, or how are we going to teach them in a way that they can learn? And so that's a separate issue. 
to, to the students that we know we have. And I think that we need to be paying better attention or closer attention to what they're telling us about the way they need to learn. Uh, you know, outdoor learn, outdoor education, not in the sense that I'm going to go to the outdoor ed center and learn how to uh, walk in snowshoes. That's, that's not what outdoor learning is. It's learning outdoors. And, and it's a huge part of the indigenous culture, the outdoors and how the, we relate um, as, as people to the earth. And we need to listen to that. So what are the structures that teachers face, administrators face, school boards face when they're saying, here's what the people are telling us they want. Here's what we'd like to do, but we're not able to do it because what are those because things that are getting in the way of a lot of that innovation that could be, it could be outdoor education. It could be a lot of things. I hate to start any answer with funding. So we're going to keep that for a second. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things we talk about at the Ontario Public School Boards Association is a local flexibility. So uh, we, we always talk about the need for a local school board to be able to make changes to uh, whether it be curriculum or whether it be uh, how we organize our schools or, or those type of things based on their local circumstances. Because again, using the Toronto and Northern example, you clearly uh, have two different ways of, of living. And we need, to have a, we need to have as much flexibility built into the system as we can so that we can provide what our local students need. And sometimes that's a barrier. Sometimes, uh, you know, understanding that while we want every student in Ontario to, no matter where you live, be getting the same education, the same level and, uh, of, of competency and all of those things, uh, we still need to be able to mold it in such a way that it suits the kids that we have in our buildings. And that comes down to funding. <laughs> I mean, it, it is the sad reality of everything we do in life that it costs money. And sometimes, um, you know, it's that piece about equity isn't sane. And some places might need a little bit more help uh, financially to be able to, to provide that individual type learning to the buildings and the schools and the students they have. It's a, it's a delicate balance because uh, we, we recognize that, uh, you know, money is finite. <laughs> there, 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 there isn't just a, a never ending uh, pile of it that we could dip into, but we need to be able to do uh, the things we need to do with what we can get. And so I think that's a, that's a huge for us as a, a provincial association. It's we talk about it all the time about having uh, local flexibility because we know our communities. But but I could go on the very long path of the value of a locally elected school board, and and that's one of them is that I know my community, uh, and I should be able to make some local decisions based on the place I live. What kinds of things have you heard from those communities that are often very marginalized in our systems? Often we hear from students are um, like unintended consequences or unintended impact or listen, you know, the one thing about uh, all, all of that we're, go we're learning now is that we don't know what we don't know. 
And it's sometimes um, the things that we do as a system or as people may have a negative impact on somebody, but we don't know. Like we we're learning and that's uncomfortable and that's difficult. And and so what we what we hear from students is the, the need to have learning for us as the adults, as the providers of their education, we need to uh, learn about things like uh, systemic racism that, that listen, as a middle-aged white woman, I, I, systemic racism, I have to learn about it because I don't really, you know, experience it, obviously. And, but that's what we hear from the kids is that we, we will hear anecdotally things that have happened that people for the most part in this world people have good intentions it's just sometimes we don't know what we don't know and and we need to uh listen to what they're telling us so that we can figure it out and try to do better by them uh, i do know that language matters i mean i you know um what we say matters and, and i i shared at an earlier point a story from when I was in school I mean a long time ago <laughs> and uh, I had a math teacher when I was in grade seven and I was struggling with math who said to me and he may have been just trying to make me feel better about the fact that I was struggling he said well, it's okay because you know girls have a hard time doing math now that was a long time ago I mean many many long times ago <laughs> but I don't think he was being mean. I think he was well-intentioned that he was, at least I'm choosing to believe he was, that um, he was trying to help me not feel so bad that I couldn't figure this out. But what his words did to me was tell me that I couldn't do math and it was okay that I couldn't do math. And it wasn't until many years later, what I figured out was that it wasn't that I couldn't do math. It was that he didn't teach me in a way I understood. So I think about that when I think about what are the things that we say to young people or each other that we don't intend to be mean or down, you know, put them down or, or, or damaging to their whatever, uh, their confidence that happened because we just don't understand about the systemic racism piece or, or any of those things that we need to do better when, to learn about. So would you ever want to get together with that teacher who said that to you about yeah. math yeah, and, I absolutely and, would. and, and what would you say? And what would you want to have part of that conversation? Cause to me, that's a restorative response to a situation where harm has been caused. Yeah. You know what? I think it would be interesting uh, for me. It would be just like, I, I would like to be able to say to him, Although I would imagine that this many years later, yeah, he'd probably like pass because <laughs> it was a long time ago. But I would have liked to have said, I don't know if you realize what it did to me uh, when you said this to me. And, and again, I choose to believe that he didn't, he was not ill, in, there was no ill intent. There was no, that he was just saying, yeah, it's okay, you, you know, it's okay. And he was trying to come up with the reason why it was okay that I was struggling. And instead of helping me learn in a different way, that was his thing. I, 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 I think, I think I would like, I would liked him to have known that. And, um, 
you know, it's, it is interesting because it, think about how long that has stuck with me that I am like, I'm 59 years old and that was in grade seven. And I have always thought of that about, about being told that, you know, and, and I used to joke about, uh, I married an engineer so I could balance my checkbook until one day I was in, a, I, as a trustee, I was in a meeting and um, our math consultant came in, was talking about doing math and I'm, I'm doing math. And I'm going, I, I remember saying to her, I don't get it. Like, I can't, I'm, I don't understand how it is I can do this. She says, well, you've always been able to do math. Nobody told you that this was okay. Like this is, I can figure out what's a good price to pay for 24 bottles of water was the example we used at the time, but I never thought of it as being able to do math. So that's what I would like to tell them. That's what I'd like to tell them. I, I tell, I mean, I, I'm very privileged in my, my position, both as a, a long st serving trustee and as the president of our association, that I get the opportunity to sometimes talk to new teachers or talk to uh, superintendent of uh, people who are going to uh, trying to become superintendents. And I tell that story about the importance of what we say and, and we need to do better and we need to find out what we're not doing that we should be doing better about, right? Because we, we just don't know. We just don't know. Now, flipping the story around uh, or the example around a little bit, if you were the person who had said something that had caused harm and you're in a position of a governor, governorship, a trusteeship and so on, there may have been things that you or uh, the governing body has said or done. And someone has come to you and said, look, this, this uh, hurts me, this harms me. What's your reaction been? Or do you have any examples along that line? Because to me, this is starting to get into the structure of how we can do better in terms of not only engaging adults, but engaging students. I had to learn a long time ago that the first thing that co the, the first thing you do is uh, not say anything because, you know, I liken this to being a parent, right? When your kid comes to you and like something really not great has happened and, and the best thing you can do is go, mm hmm, so how did that make you feel? But in your brain, you're going, boom, <laughs> you know, and it's the same thing when you're talking to a, a parent who's come to you about a situation or a student or whomever the first thing you do is perhaps the best thing you could do is like kind of keep your mouth shut and not take that defensive uh you know posture that oh no i didn't like i didn't do that we didn't do that like no 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 because if they said that's the way they felt about what you did or said then that is the way they felt about what you did or said and you have to be so careful about these things. And so, I mean, this is the way I do things. Uh, we all are not, we all don't do this. I mean, I, I have, you know, I can give you examples of things that have gone poorly, but I always try to first step back <laughs> and listen to what they're saying. And, and then you know, those probing questions kind of thing. And, uh, but Stan, I'll tell you, a lot of that comes from you. A lot of that comes from, from the work we did together when we were at KPR. And uh, because I, you know, I can remember at one time carrying around in my wallet, a little card about the restorative practice questions and, uh, and thinking about that and how, how I even, even I use that in my, I will call it my, my political life where, 
you know, when you're the president of an association that has, uh, you know, 1.3 million students are responsible for and 300 plus trustees, like not everybody's happy with everything I do. <laughs> and and I've, I've used that a lot to say, okay, I, I, I hear what you're saying to me. Can you help me understand? And let's figure this out because, you know, really I'm not always right. <laughs> what are parents saying to you? So first of all, with the job I have and the role I play, I never, or I should say very, very rarely hear from happy people. <laughs> well, I was a principal for 20 years, so I know where you're coming from. I, I, I will not hear from somebody. Nobody hardly ever, very rarely randomly calls me and go, hey, you're doing amazing things. Uh, uh, so... What we hear, what I hear from, well, obviously right now, and I think it goes without saying that it's all pandemic related. You, you know, yeah. as we know, as we as we sit here and speak today, uh, we're having we're having a surge, right? And so it's happening in our schools, and it's happening with the little ones that have not been uh, had as much access to vaccines yet. Uh, they're getting vaccinated, but they're not there yet. So there's a lot going on. So uh, a lot of my calls are are about pandemic uh, right now. But uh, prior to that, <laughs> I would say that a lot of it, ha a lot of the calls you get really have to do with um, breakdowns in communication and, and those structural pieces that don't work for some, for some kids. And uh, I think that for me, you know, it is, it is a truism because it is true that when somebody phones you or tells you a story and they're telling you that, you know, Mr. Smith, the principal of my school did this, 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 and this, and then you, you, you realize that that's their version of the story. Mr. Smith's gonna have another story and somewhere in the middle, we're gonna, is, is what kind of actually happened without all the viewpoints. And I, I hear often, you know, and they said this, they said that, and then, I'm always aware of the fact that they probably didn't say it a quite like that <laughs> and with that intent that and so the goal is to try to get people to come together for that conversation to come to a resolution that does not always mean like parents parents are um, important cogs to the wheel of education but they're not teachers and they know their children but as a parent, I can tell you that I am fairly certain my three kids were different human beings when they were at school than they were here. And um, we need to finally, we, we need to get a parent to understand sometimes that what's happened at the school is the, is the best thing that the educators think for, this, for the parent. And the parent might not always agree, but they have to be okay with it. And that's, that takes a lot of talking sometimes. And I see my role, and I will say to a parent, I mean, I get, I'll get a call and I'll say, look, I, I have no day-to-day -day authority in a school. I can't make a principal do anything. I can't make anybody do that. What I can do for you is advocate to make sure that you're having those conversations, that we get to a place that you and your child are more comfortable in our school, and that the, the, the outcome may not be what you want, but at least you will understand why, and the principal or whomever will understand the impact of what they said and how they said it and that's the best we can do 
I can't, I can't make kids not be in trouble after they've done something wrong. <laughs> That's not going to happen. But we need to get to a place where everybody understands and are, are telling, are, are understanding the story the same. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in meetings, Kathy, where someone has said, I never knew that that's what you thought. I, I had no idea that that's where this was coming from. Or even to say, I, I didn't know that that's how it affected you. And in the course of those conversations, you know, little light bulbs going on. Yeah, uh, I actually would tell people uh, from a restorative perspective, you're not going to be hearing the same story as what you understand. It's you're a different person. So you're going to perceive things differently. And it's it's not even sometimes in restorative practice about um, finding a spot in the middle. It's about hearing all the different stories and, and then deciding, so what are we going to do from here? Like, what do we need to do to fix this? What do we need to do to make that? There's that question, right? What do we need to do to make things right here? Uh, as right as possible in the circumstances. Rick, the bottom line, the bottom line for all of this, no, is, for all of it is we want students to be in our schools in a way that makes it easier and for them to learn. Like our only goal in life as trustees, as school boards, student achievement and well-being, that's our job. It's legislated that's our job. So, you know, we, we have to have sometimes those kinds of conversations to get to a place where those students feel like they're comfortable and safe and all of those things in the school because if they're not, they can't learn or they don't learn as well. And those are tough conversations to have and sometimes really uncomfortable conversations to have to realize, oh my goodness, I used a term or I said something in a way that really set someone off. And I had no idea. Um, I had it in a workshop one time. I can still remember it was in Port Hope uh, where I just used an example that I had used in training all the time. And we had, we had done this training oh, probably a hundred times already. And some somebody just lit right up because there was a murderer who spoke about restorative practice in a case where he was part of a circle. And this person had had someone in their family murdered and she just went ballistic, right? You should have told me that this was coming. And I thought, wow, I had no idea, right? So, but then... On my part, on, for, for us as adults, we need to be willing when we, because I really love what you're saying, we have to get to that conversation. When we get to that conversation, we need to listen, listen, listen. That's what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. I think that's, I just think that's the most important thing I do as a trustee, uh, as a trustee, both locally and on my provincial role listening to what people are saying and, and trying to figure out the best thing to do going forward based on what they're saying or, and sometimes what they're not saying too. Yeah, it, it is, it is, uh, you know, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot as a trustee and, and, um, over the, over the years. And, and this is, uh, this is a big one. This is a really big one and it's all aspects of your life. We're looking for practical, and restorative suggestions that come out of our conversation today? I think that, um, and, and I don't have the actual answer of how you actually will do this, but you have to find a way to meet the kids where they are and talk to them about the, th the things that matter to them. You know, 
it's um, again, it's all fine and dandy to uh, speak to those students who have the uh, you know ability or confidence or whatever the word is you want to come and speak to the school board. But you have to find a way to engage those other students because there are more of those other students than there are of the kids that will come to the school board and speak. And, and uh, as, as a practical, and in a practical way, um, sort of this online technology has helped with that a bit, right? Because they're all connected. They're all connected to us in some way now because they've had to be. Uh, you know, we, we have to find a way to use that tool to connect to those kids that are a little bit disconnected from, you know, the upper overachieving students. I think that's a big one. And I think I, as I often will say to, you know, I talk to trustees uh, from across the province a lot about things and I'll say, look, that, just take a step back and listen to what people are saying to you. Just take a step back and listen. And, and it's, it seems so easy, but it's not, it's not. We're all walking, we're all of us are egos on feet. And, and we think that we know best and we really don't. We really don't. And, and we don't, we, we have to learn. You actually demonstrated what I think is really important, which is to ask a question and to ask an open-ended question. So how are you feeling about this? What do you think about this? How's this affecting you? And guess what? Those are all restorative questions. I was trained well, Stan. There you go. <laughs> so thank you very much, uh, Kathy, for being uh, part of our uh, podcast. Really have enjoyed this conversation and uh, reconnecting again after a number of years. So thanks again very much and all the best in your work, both in KPR and with, uh, with OBSPA. Uh, thank you very much. And thank you very much for having me. I, I always enjoy talking about education. Good intentions and harmful impact. Ouch. Like what Kathy said about just listening first and taking a step back. That's the don't judge, don't blame step back that helps with listening. We do things and say things and need to listen to how others have heard, experienced, or been impacted by what we've said or done. And it takes practice to do this restoratively. If you've been wrestling with how to do this without the blaming or the judging, drop me a line to stand at restorative.ca. Love to talk further about our trainings and let's engage our students and each other in restorative conversations.